Motivation and inspiration are powerful tools that change and influence perspectives, voices, and projects that shape the world. With all the negativity in the world, it can be hard to find those rare and beautiful stories that tell of inspired spiritual activism and individual healing journeys. Walk the path with me, Dr. Trish DeRocher, on the show Heart, Change, Consciousness, where we inspire listeners to take action towards a more just world. We'll hear from authors, change makers, influencers, activists, poets, filmmakers, and cultural workers who practice inspired spiritual activism and transform vulnerabilities into sources of strength. Heart Change Consciousness allows us to understand the world from different perspectives and highlights what is possible when we are fearless and open ourselves to our soul purpose and engage each other across boundaries. So let's self-heal and open the path to self-sovereignty. Heart Change Consciousness begins now. Wow, what a great show. Dr. Trish DeRosha is joining me here today. This is her, this is her show. And the topic for today, for all of you, and I want to welcome all of you to this, because when we're thinking about consciousness, are we thinking about transformative consciousness? But as we think about it, and we've gone through, since I've been doing the show, many, many iterations of what things mean. But when a certain author came out with a certain book, he literally changed the landscape of accountability. And he came out with a statement that boiled down to four agreements. Thank you, Don Miguel, for creating agreements that most people cannot do. There's not a single person that I know that have read your book that know how to do all four in life every day. And the one we get hung up on is accountability and what it means to be an accountability culture. And that's what Dr. Trish DeRocha is taking on today. But more importantly, it's more than a conversation for her. If you've listened to her shows, if you're working with her, then you know that this is a life path and a purpose. But what is it that we have not yet come to learn about transformative consciousness and accountability. Dr. Trish, this is a big, big topic, right? It's one of those words that at least in my journey in the academic world, it's one of those words when you go or attempt to study it, a thousand people will have a thousand different. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But for you, This is really taking the world of social justice and spirituality and having a bigger conversation about it, isn't it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, you do take on these big conversations. I I get so intrigued every show (laughs) that I look at and prepare for with you. It's like, basically, that's all I have to say. The rest is all you. (laughs) Somebody has to have these conversations, right? So to just bring it into the collective. I don't know. It's my Aries. It's my fire. We go there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, And, you know, let me say this about your Aries and your fire. I'm a Sagittarian and I have fire. But I will tell you that I do not have that Aries fire because the conversation is one that 
it's more than just an idea or a level of awareness. And I love the way you approach this. And what we're about to talk about today is because this is a time for not just transformative change, but almost of the superhero nature, almost of something that we have not tapped into before. That's yearning, yearning for mm -hmm. us to bring forth. And we don't have to have all the answers, or maybe we do, do we? No, I, th I think we just need to show up in our hearts, right? And trust that as we do that, well, the answers will kind of come in to each of us in, in our own way. Yeah. So let's start out the conversation about um, the word justice. Um, I did a study way back, and I, uh, I refused to follow the traditional theoretical perspective on trust and on accountability. And I created something that they call in studies a moderator. And when I picked the moderator that I picked, you should see the eyes roll. But what is it that people like you and me know about social justice? And why is it such a topic that turns more eyes literally has the hair on people's chest stand up even if they don't have hair on their chest. <laughs> but why is it that we cannot blend what you're going to talk about now today, social justice and spirituality? Mm -hmm. And I, I'll never forget the scolding I got for abbreviating social justice as SJ in an academic paper, but I'm turning the rest over to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think... Um... Just to kind of give a little bit of history, my my grandfather was a Supreme Court justice for the state of New York. Um, my uncles are lawyers, and when I was younger, I I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to, you know, I wanted justice in the world. This has always been a deeply embedded thing for me. And talking to my grandfather, <clears throat> he just looked at me one day. He sat me down and he said, "There is no justice in the justice system." Right. And back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, he started actually cataloging um, just kind of uh, <laughs> rogue and bogus charges against people. And, and he just had a, a running log. And, um, you know, he kind of asked me before he passed to kind of carry the torch, but not in the way that uh, I thought that I would. So. I think that there is this form of uh, juridical and punitive justice, right, which is kind of the dominant mode of justice in the U.S. at this time where, you know, there's uh, uh, someone is um, accused of doing something, right, and we know that by and large um, BIPOC folks are, are um incarcerated at much higher rates in this country. Michelle Alexander has a great book um, called The New Jim Crow. Yeah. kind of documents all of this. Um, <clears throat> but there's a way in which people aren't just, um, we don't think about the larger context or culture of why people are maybe uh, led to do the things that they do or looking at things structurally. We tend to just look at action and then we criminalize a person, right, for an offense that may or may not have actually happened, right? Without looking at all the other details. So social justice, right, is really instead focused on this transformative justice model where we are looking at um, 
structures of inequity through economics, um, the political system, the social system. Um, and we're just looking at how these structures kind of maintain the status quo. Um, so social justice then is really looking at leveling the playing field and not just looking at individual people's actions right but like what are what's the infrastructure that we have that's actually working hard at maintaining the status quo and not allowing true equity to come into our social spheres for all people yeah. um and so when we're talking about this this can be like in terms of education healthcare, housing employment um and also just the ways in which our society grants some people unearned privileges right um and actually denies these privileges to other people based upon race class gender sexuality um geopolitical location education ability right the list kind of goes on and on so i'm really interested and and i grew up um in a in an irish catholic household um and i also had the the gift of my second family um who my my best friend from childhood her father actually studied with gustavo gutierrez in peru he's from peru and and liberation theology in peru is really uh wedding social justice and um and religion right and thinking okay how is it and and this is a, a christian uh perspective or paradigm but how is it that we actually allow the church to do what it says it's supposed to do right which is to stand with the poor stand with the oppressed yeah. um so from a very young age i had uh these two very different paradigms of um the catholic school that i kind of went to that that very much upheld the status quo and these dominant structures you know um and then i i also got this uh lens into this other way of um really what what faith and spirituality can look like when applied to this material plane, right, and to social systems. So I think that there's actually a really long um, spiritual tradition of combining social justice and spirituality, right? We can look at Black liberation theology, so people like Dr. King or Cornell West, um, and then, you know, not just Gustavo Gutierrez, but all of the, the collective people's movements in South America that were really oh. focused on liberation, right? Oh, there's no question about it. And we don't really talk about that enough. But certainly for me, I've gotten more familiar with it since I found out, like, thank you, uh, ancestry and internet that my grandfather was born in Brazil and the history of his family in Brazil. And I started to look at this, but don't we know people, right? I mean, you can think of people and let's just, let me just bring this up. I'm sure this is not what you meant, but let me just bring, as you're speaking, here's what comes to mind. As a kid, I was fascinated with Joan of Arc. Mm -hmm. I was so fascinated with this person i didn't know it was real i didn't know joan of arc was like a real person because if you're a young kid and you're interested in something like that somehow you pick up information and then you read about it it almost seems like i'm reading a comic book mm -hmm. but in today's world when we think about this my sense is we can probably point to more people than ever that are building that bridge. What do you think? 
I do think so. Absolutely. And I think that um, it's there, right? I think it has to do with where we're looking, right? Because certainly if, if we're only turning into the news, right, or, or mainstream news outlets, there's so much focus on um, what is wrong, right? That, mm -hmm. that there's not actually a lens into what people are actually doing in this world to create these bridges. I also think that there is a, a very secular strand of social justice work. Um, and that's really kind of where I see my intervention. Um, uh, M. Jackie Alexander, she's a, a Afro-Trinidadian transnational feminist theorist. Uh, she actually left academia a few years ago to start uh, a spiritual center in Trinidad. She's one of my, my academic and spiritual heroes. Um, she said uh, in her book, Pedagogies of Crossing, uh, that mm. often social justice is, uh, people are coming from a posture of the hatred of existing systems instead of a love of justice, right? And I think in particular, if we're taking a very secular stance, it's, um, it's easy to get lost in hopelessness, right? Of just like, this is all that there is, uh, right? It, it's oppressing everyone without that, like, that bridge into, okay, so what else, right? What is this kind of contrast showing us about where we want to go? And that's, I think, where Cornell West, you know, um, justice yeah. is what love looks like in public. Oh my God, that's so beautiful, right? How do we keep that focus on love? Um, and I think that's where the term, right, when you were talking about shortening uh, social justice warrior, right, or, or SJW, like, it's become really a pejorative term, right? Yeah. Like, kind of in the dominant culture, people will just use it as shorthand of like, oh, they're always like posting on social media, or oh, they're always taking up these issues. And sure, right, there, there are strands, right, in... Um, social justice work that that are ego based right that are focused on um just kind of uh being you know like the right kind of ally or being a good person and it's not really focused on the work itself um or you know the people who are kind of talking the talk and not walking the walk but i also think that it's a form of egoism to critique so harshly because everybody needs an entry point into this work um and i think it, there's just so much judgment on all around that I think really imbuing this work with that spiritual dimension of understanding that people are showing up as they are when they're ready. Um, and that sometimes it's the, the judgment inside these spaces that actually keep people blocked out. Out there, because, you know, I finally did get that the acronym included in, in my final paper. Um, but here's the thing. You wake up one day, like today, and I know I'm doing this show with you, and all of a sudden I get an alert beep on my phone. And the alert beep on my phone, and why do I get these alert beeps on my phone? Because this has to do with accountability next. That's what we're going to talk about. And by the way, if you don't mind, let's just skip the break and keep rolling. Yep. Um, accountability is love. Okay. So I love the idea of what you talked about. Am I taking this position because I hate the structure or is it because I love this, these people mm -hmm. and I don't see a level of and how I dare I use the word fairness in this mm -hmm. discussion. This morning I wake up 
and Mississippi, I think it's Mississippi, has now put legislature in to banning transgender athletes. And so I wake up this morning and, and I want to hear the argument. Like, I want to hear the case. Mm-hmm. I want to hear, how did you get there? Mm-hmm. How did you get to that place? But yet, in my heart, I'm thinking, there is no argument. This is just, we ain't having them people in, the, in any sports down here. Yeah. And that is a form of prejudice, in my, in my opinion, that is picking up momentum. Yeah. And so... I don't see anyone taking it on. And so sometimes if you take a thing on, you're looked at as there she goes again. She's got that. I'm not even going to use the word. Like if you're a woman and you take something on, you know what we're called. But what if we move to hold a body of government accountable from a deep, deep place of compassion? Mm-hmm. What if we could do that? And let me ask you this. Aren't some of the people we're seeing now doing that already? Yes. <laughs> I think, you know, I think even inside the federal and state government, right? There yeah. are there are people who it it's not historically the government has denied them, right? The right to be in these spaces of power. And it's also not easy for them to be in these spaces, right? So many of women of color have been voted in and are choosing this path very consciously, even though it takes so much emotional labor every single day for them to do this work. And I, you know, I, I think obviously Dr. King was not a perfect person. None of us are perfect people, but I think that sometimes in it's interesting, right? Because in dominant culture, he kind of gets whitewashed, right? Like, oh, he was just, you know, like all soft and nonviolence and kind of no teeth. And so we forget that he was killed for a reason. We forget that, um, you know, he was preaching about a very fierce love. And I think that we forget that love can be fierce, right? Like we have this understanding that love needs to be soft and understanding all the time. But I think that there is fire in love, right? And to actually hold people and the collective accountable to growing into the truest, most authentic version of themselves, right? And there's, um, I think about it as like holding the soul blueprint, right? For both individuals and the collective. And I think this is what's different from like cancel culture where someone says something quote unquote wrong and they're kind of written off as being toxic, right? Like that that to me is very full of, of ego and resentment and hate. But accountability for me is something very, very different, right? So if I am in a space or I say something or do something where even if I feel like I have the clearest of intentions, if that impact, right, of what I say or do harms someone else and that person trusts me enough to communicate that to me, right? That is an act of love on their part, right? And trust to communicate that. And it's also an act of love for me to be able to receive it without being defensive. So I think when you're saying, um, you know, people rolling their eyes when 
uh, talk of social justice comes up, that's a defense mechanism, right? Oh, like yeah. there is this like very embodied, as we've talked about before on this show, um, reaction to, oh my gosh, I'm really scared, right? I'm going to be found out that I'm a bad person. Um, you know, like, I'm not going to go know what to do. I'm going to be told that, like, I can't, you know, keep my way of life as I know it or my worldview. Um, and so defensiveness, deflection, fight, freeze, like all of these things, or even like the fawning response of like, can't we all just get along and kind of erase those differences? They're all fear responses. Um, so for me, social justice work is really rooted in a deep love for the collective and just a desire for everyone to be able to live easeful, love-filled lives, right? Without fearing for their life, without fearing of like, where are the material resources going to come from? Um, and I think that a lot of the fear is uh, if you have lived a life of unearned privilege, right, which means that you can walk down the street without yeah. having to think about your safety. You don't yeah. have to think about where your next meal is coming from or if you're going to be discriminated against for driving your car or, you know, signing a lease or, or a mortgage, right? Then when someone actually brings that to your attention, that can feel very, very scary to you, right? In your body. And there's just this fear around not knowing. We all have a fear around not knowing because it feels like we're out of control or we don't have control. Um, so, well, I got to tell you, this yeah. is, let me ask you about this because I don't want to blow by what you're saying. Um, this is such a pivotal moment for that particular aspect of fear that I just want to talk about this and then we can move on because I made a fuss months back, a year back, when I saw those kids in cages. Now, am I making a statement that's based on hate or do I hate the system? No. No, it was like, we're humans. We don't do that to each other. That's the fantasy world I live in a lot of times. I am called Pollyanna Patty for a reason. But to see it and the, the tears, and then I get angry. So what am I angry about? You don't see them anymore. You don't know where the kids are. Trust me, they're still in cages. Mm -hmm. You don't see them anymore. You try to find out. Nobody's talking about them. Mm -hmm. And the more you talk about them on air, the more hate emails you get. Mm -hmm. And this idea of accountability and moving to the place where it's not scary, that has got to be our priority moving forward now. I have never seen so many people, Dr. Trish, afraid, afraid to put political stickers on their car, like for a candidate. Yeah. And I'm not saying which one. It doesn't matter. It, it, yeah. Right. But afraid of that. Um, afraid of standing in a voting line or standing and supporting somebody or in the right here in Seattle now, my friends are protesting about what's going on with the homeless and they're afraid to do that. I've never seen that. Can you answer the question? What if accountability wasn't scary? Because I got to tell you, 
when I was walking and marching, my mama was down in Alabama. We Everybody's marching. I think I was marching before I had my first job. <laughs> I wasn't afraid. Yeah. Can you talk about that movement? That is one of the most important things that you are taking on. And I want to hear you direct us. Yeah, I think that right now there's... Um... I mean, I think everybody knows that there's just a uh, deep polarization, right? And um, often, right, if we're, if we're thinking about spirituality as like the movement out of duality, right? So when you're, when you're talking about the, the outrage, right, at the injustice of children being held in cages, that is just outrage, right? If we're taking a spiritual perspective and we understand that we're all individual expressions of the oneness of the collective, right? When someone else is being harmed, we are also being harmed, right? So I think one of the questions is what is preventing us from mm. seeing ourselves in each other, right? Mm. And from that very basic empathy of being able to look reality in the face, right? And regardless of what our defenses are, like, I think the thing is, is we can feel afraid. We can have all of these reactions on our bodies and we can still also choose <laughs> to be just. We can still also choose to be held accountable. And that choosing is both an act of love for ourselves, right? Growing ourselves, right? To be a more authentic heart-based version of ourselves, but also for the collective, right? How do we grow ourselves into this, this, um, yeah, just uh, a heart-based society, right? We're thinking of shifting from head, ego, mind is all about fear down to the heart. And I just, before we get into the accountability thing, I just want to say that um, it, it's fascinating to me that when I'm in like more academic or activist spaces, there can be a lot of like uh, dismissal of anything connected to spirituality or the oneness at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then talk about duality. Then I come over to my spiritual circles and there's so much fear and resistance about talking about race or class to, you know, any kind of political division, which are also realities. Uh, so my focus is really like, how do we get these, these different polarities talking to each other without that fear. You know, like I've had clients who have been afraid to just speak on, on their uh, political inclinations out of uh, fear of judgment. And again, it's, it's across the board, right? Or their, you know, social identities don't fit with what their perceived political identities should be, right? And then they kind of close in. And, and this is very scary and concerning all around, because if we can't have these conversations and we can't meet each other in love, how are we going to be able to grow our society into that that vision that we want to see. Um, but I also think that in it, it's an interesting uh, sh uh, shift where I think sometimes activists and academic circles are so kind of focused in the lower chakras without that connection to intuition or heart. And then sometimes in the spiritual sector, people, it feels so good to live in those higher chakras that they don't want to think about like grounding in this material reality. Like we have to, we have to know where we are before we can get to where we want to go. Just like we don't want to just focus on where we are without thinking about, you know, like what's possible or what's motivating us to bring in this other world. So I think that the truth of who we really are is love. It's only ever love, 
right? And we get all sorts of noise in the signal. We get, you know, our uh, intergenerational trauma, inherited biases, our limiting worldviews based on where we grew up, what we saw, what we come to understand, like from our, our parents, our, you know, our friends, our neighbors, our teachers, you know, whatever we're learning, if, if we grew up religious in the church. Um, but those hardened wounds, right? They turn into hatred and resentment. And when we're younger, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. But when we become grown, when we become adults in the world, we are responsible for addressing those things, right? Each of us are accountable for how we're showing up in the collective because that inner flows outer. So your question about what if being accountable didn't need to feel scary Right. I mean, that's my dream. Yeah. What if people can actually meet each other? Right. When someone is asking you to take accountability and seeing this as an opportunity to grow. Wow. They trust me enough to come and talk to me about this thing. And then my kind of role in that pact is to meet them there with love. And when we can both meet each other there with love, however uncomfortable, however, whatever our bodies are doing, then we both are able to be transformed by that interaction. So there's this beautiful blog um, by Mia Mingus, and it's called Leaving Evidence. And I just wanted to read a short blurb. Please, please do. Yeah. So this is from her um, entry called Dreaming Accountability. What if accountability wasn't scary? It will never be easy or comfortable. But what if it wasn't scary? What if our own accountability wasn't something we ran from, but something that we ran towards and desired, appreciated, and held as sacred? What if we cherished opportunities to take accountability as precious opportunities to practice liberation, to practice love, to practice the kinds of people, elders to be, and souls we want to be, to practice that which we can only practice in real time? After all, we can only practice courage when we are afraid. We can only practice taking accountability when we have wronged or harmed or hurt. Like this is a society that I want to live in, <laughs> right? And just thinking of accountability as a practice of love and liberation that allows us to grow ourselves into the types of people and society that we want to live in, right? So the question, as you kind of asked, is like, so how do we begin, right? How do we begin? And, you know, let's take a short break. And when we come back, let's talk about the beginning, because sometimes we have to start at the end to understand that the next step is a new beginning. And, you know, what do I mean by that? This morning, when I saw that headlines, I stopped to think I want to understand this. That's after I got really annoyed. But then I stopped to say, I need to understand this more. When we come back, let's talk about accountability. And one of the things that I'd love to hear you share is sometimes when we're living out of this chakra, we don't allow ourselves to really feel what inside us is injustice. It's all good. No, children (laughs) in cages is not good. How do we find out more about you, Trish? And then we'll take a short break. Dr. Trish DeRocha. 
Yeah. So my uh, practice is transformative consciousness coaching and consulting. My website is transformativeconsciousness.com. Um, and there you'll find uh, individual services. You'll find some more about uh, just what informs my practice. Um, and in the spring, I'm actually going to be running a few pro group programs on whiteness um, and just kind of whiteness 101, confronting whiteness um, from a spiritual perspective and, and really uh, looking at how the seeds of injustice, right, are, are first and foremost in ourselves and that we have to address this in order to address it in, in wider society. When we come back, this is for me. When we come back, what happens when we take a look in the mirror? But wait, with the lens, through the lens of love, what happens when we take that look in the mirror and we realize that the us that we see is the end? What is the next step we take? I'm not going to answer that question. That's Dr. <laughs> Rocha. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Message delivery by Lisa Ann. You can't make this stuff up. Tune in every first and third Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Message delivery is an inspirational show about the journey to enlightenment and spirituality. For more information or your own personal message delivery, visit AngelMessages2U.com. That's Angel Messages, the number two, the letter U, dot com. Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding Into Your Radiance with Stacy Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit stacybarber.com. That's Stacy, S-T-A-C-I-E, barber.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on transformationtalkradio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit burnbrighttoday.com. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Raising the vibrations through stimulating conversations while exploring the mysteries of Atlantis and Lemuria on Tales from the Mer World Radio with me, Amira Beth. Join us every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Be ready to feel empowered and an active part of the changing earth. For more information about me, visit Amirabeth.com.
The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. Penny, where'd you get that from? These are actually from Trish and her people. I know. That's mm-hmm. why I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> I can't tell you how many songs in my 20s like that I listened to and I sat around a fire the day before a march. Just saying. Uh, tell us about that song for a minute, Trish, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, The singer-songwriter is my friend Denise Casey, Um, and it's really cool because all of the proceeds from this album, so the song is called Mm. Come Alive, is going to a BIPOC urban farm in Winooski, Vermont. Um, And so, actually, I met Denise. Denise is another white-bodied person, and we met at Radical Dharma Camp and at the Omega Institute, but we found out that we both lived in Burlington, Vermont. And so we were able to connect that way. Mm. Um, And, you know, just really, I think that's actually a beautiful way of thinking about accountability. Even um, there's a piece on my website, Waking Up to Whiteness. uh, And I wrote it during, you know, when uh, all the protests were happening after George Floyd was murdered. And, um, at that time, right, that was not a time to ask BIPOC people, you know, for help or what should I do, right? And so um, Denise helped me, um, Denise Casey, the the writer of that song, Come Alive, helped me to kind of draft and ask questions. And um, so talk about accountability, right, to be able to bring forward either, uh, you know, I'm a white-bodied person, so with a, uh, another white-bodied person, talking about, you know, what am I missing, right? What are the conversations? What's the discomfort? You know, what am I not seeing? And then allowing that in, right, as a as a deeper form of accountability to each other, um, but also to the collective to start building these networks where as white-bodied folks, we can start to have these conversations, even as they're uncomfortable, um, just to to be able to provide some some checks and balances and um, and also to receive that feedback. So yeah, that's where that song is coming from. And and you can find her album on Bandcamp, and it's called Come Alive. Thank you for bringing that forward. Um, you know, we were talking about, and I want to get right to this and really turn it over to you here and Benny and uh, Jacob. We're going to skip the next break. Um, being accountable to ourselves looking in the mirror one day. I mean, this is me looking in the mirror. That seems to be my thing. It's like not mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all. It's like (laughs) looking in the mirror and saying, who the bleep are you? Because you become unrecognizable. And I've had four moments in my life like that. And I don't know why a mirror past life. But then when you ask that question, it is the end of something. Yeah. And you don't always know that next step. Tell us about the pathway that we can follow to make that heart conscious transformative shift and change. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I quoted that Cornell West quote of of how justice is what love looks like in public. But the second half of that quote is um, uh, 
just like tenderness is what love feels like in private, right? So I think one of these questions is, um, or one of the answers to your question is, how do we start to treat ourselves with tenderness, right? Because when we are judging other people, when we are in a place of rushing to judgment rather than understanding first, right? That is a reflection of how we're meeting ourselves. So I truly believe that we are each other's mirrors, right? Um, And that whatever we're kind of seeing in um, my coaching practice, we call it master teachers, right? Our master teachers are all around us. Donald Trump has been one of my biggest master teachers. How do I engage, right, with this human who wants to eradicate the rights, right, and lives of people who are really dear to me, right? How do I meet even that with love? How do I meet him in my heart space and wish him love, wish him healing? So, you know, I think that it's it's human, right, to see an injustice and get angry, right? Otherwise, we'd be bypassing, right? We'd be in la-la land and, and just not allowing ourselves to be human. We are human, right? We're in this 3D material plane. We're navigating ego mind um, and that fear all the time. And we have a choice, right, of after that initial reaction to be like, okay, do I want to stay in fear, right? Do I want to stay in anger and judgment, Or do I want to make a conscious, deliberate choice to shift into love? And I think that this kind of love is is hard, right? It's hard to want to understand something that, um, that is unjust before just judging it. Um, And I think that that's also part of our duty to try to understand right? So not just under, not just looking at um, the, the actions, right, of another person that are unjust, but really trying on from our hearts, what is leading to those actions, right? What is the original wound? Is this a wound, you know, from their family? Is this intergenerational trauma, right? What is actually allowing people or a culture or a country to show up in this way, repeatedly harming other people. And when we start doing that work, right, shifting from judgment to understanding and shifting from judgment to tenderness, we need to start by looking in ourselves, right? How do we respond, right, um, when someone acts unjustly towards us? And I think that often these these deep wounds fester and they harden. And what is originally sadness and vulnerability turns into hatred and resentment. And if if our family, right, has, um, you know, I, I like to joke, I come from, uh, I think there's like nine redheaded women in my family, right? <laughs> and so like proud Irish women, um, you know, and I was taught from a very young age that like we have tempers, we have wicked tongues. And, you know, with, if something isn't right, we just kind of like go off. <laughs> and I had to actually sit with that and be like, no, that's trauma, Right. I can be in my heart and I can be fierce without putting someone else down, without dipping into hate or rage, right? I can 
I can look at everything, right? And then I want to go into myself and be like, wow, why is that pressing that button in you right now? What wound is that there? And then eventually coming to, to address whatever's going around me, not from a place of judgment or hate or resentment, but from a deep place of love. I want our society to be better. Right? I, I want each person to grow into their, their soul blueprint and their inherited blueprint of love. Um, so I think most of us have been betrayed on all sorts of levels, right? And so yeah. if we have been betrayed and we're angry about being betrayed, if we have hatred and resentment that we're too afraid to look at or those emotions right in the pit of our bellies that it feels too scary to really go into then that's kind of like what we pass on into our interactions. If we think about all of our interactions with other people as energetic exchanges, if we're treating ourselves with judgment and hatred and resentment, we're going to send that out into the world. So I think, you know, it often gets grandfathered in, right? Like, oh, well, this is the way it's always been, right? Or, well, that's how my parents expected me to handle it. And so I do think that accountability, right, to the collective has to start with accountability to ourselves. Well, okay, just because I was kind of uh, taught to uh, try to be perfect, <laughs> right, <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, that uh, to achieve my worth through, um, through overachieving, it doesn't mean that's the only way. It doesn't mean I have to judge myself, right, when I'm not perfect, it means how can I be more tender with myself in those spaces where I'm not showing up perfect? How can I love myself even then? How can I love those parts of myself that I'm not really proud of? Not to stay there, but again, to try to understand where is this coming from? Um, so I really believe that beginning an intentional practice of being tender with ourselves really allows us to become more tender with other people. And we can't really do that work in the collective until we're doing that deep work with ourselves. So I like to say to my clients, like, what would it mean to talk to yourself like someone who you love? Yeah. Right? Like, it's wild. It is. And let me just ask you this, because I want to make sure that people know this is a body of work that you do that to help people. Now, even me talking about what I did, I had a mentor. I had two incredible people. Mm -hmm. I had Sedonia Cahill, my spiritual mentor, Vision Quester, takes people out in the desert, and Dr. Sherilyn Granrose, academic. And I had these two people at a pivotal point in time in my life, you know, the look in the mirror moments. I do not think that I would have been able to move ahead or even understood what I was moving ahead to do without that help. This particular area is so important in our personal evolution to be able to move to this place that you're talking about, this transformative consciousness. It takes working with someone. Isn't that the body of work you do? Yes, absolutely. One, one piece. Absolutely. Right. And, and so, yes, I've had so many teachers along my journey. It's a very long list. Um, but Dr. Richa Nagar was one of my um, co-advisors, uh, my academic co-advisors, and really one of the only reasons I stayed in academia. 
Um, and she's actually brave enough to write about radical vulnerability in social justice work in academia. Um, and, you know, I, I studied with her a lot about feminist praxis. And, you know, what does it mean if we're, we're reading all this theory, but we're not applying it? And what does it mean if we're, you know, kind of uh, practicing in the world, but we're not really taking that time for reflection? Yeah. So um, Dr. Rita Nagar is one of my, my biggest mentors in the academic world. Um, spiritually, uh, Gopi Kinnika, uh, Kim Beekman, Eileen McCusick, these are all my mentors kind of in the spiritual realm. But what I've come to learn is that this work is really collaborative, right? We have to have these dialogues. We have to be able to get into the messy spaces and have these conversations with each other, right? Because that's, you know, that's human. <laughs> that's reciprocity. That's what accountability means. That um, if we really want to show up being uh, authentic, flaws and all, we have to allow space for other people to be authentic and to have um, brave conversations yeah. that make everyone a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, I, I really value those kind of conversations and I really value collaborative work because uh, even as I was mentioning with Denise earlier, right, being able to be like, okay, here's some of my, you know, like my heart on a page about how I, you know, I'm kind of processing all of this. Let's, you know, kind of meet each other in our hearts and go a little bit deeper. I really think that if we're having these conversations and we're not uncomfortable, we're not really doing the work. We're just reiterating, yep. you know, what we already know. Um, and when we do this collaborative, or I really come from a, a coalitional uh, framework, like we, yes, our identities absolutely matter in this realm right? Our, our race, our class, our gender, our sexuality, where we were born, right? Our, our worldviews, our uh, kind of religious or spiritual upbringing, um, our training, all of these things matter, right? Because they inform how we're coming to these conversations. And, right, we also want to shift to a place where we're able to come up with, we're able to come with all of our pieces, exactly who we are, right? Share them with each other and also work towards something beyond all of us, something beyond, right? What, what any individual person can see. So transformative consciousness, um, is also really indebted to uh, Jose Medina's work. He's, uh, he works a lot with Chicana feminist thought, um, and he uses the language of kaleidoscope, uh, kaleidoscopic consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea that like each of us has this one unique perspective on reality, right? Or how things are. And um, actually the, the less social power you have, the more you are able to see the true workings of power or how these, these uh, structures and infrastructures, again, whether of society, whether it's education, housing, healthcare, the criminal justice system, how they're actually impacting people. And so in dialogue, I think we often hear like, well, talking, but listening is so important. When you can right size yourself and realize that you don't know what you don't know, all you know is kind of what you've been allowed to know from this very small perspective. And when we start like 
putting all of our perspectives and dialogue alongside of each other, we can start to have this more three-dimensional or, or I like to think 360 degree view of what's actually happening. But to do that, again, there's so much trust and we have to meet each other in love to first try to understand before, right. We respond. Yeah. Uh, Look, I just got a dose of this the other day, very shocking. And I'll just be brief about it. I play a sport and I play a sport that involves in my circle, mostly people, Asian, Asian descent, Asian Pacific, whatever it is. And I was so clueless about what they, what they're going through right now, even to the point where when you suggest, come on, let's go out to lunch and let's go over here. They don't want to go. And I didn't really understand it. And in the end, we end up going to either a Korean restaurant. And I finally said, okay, you don't like the food I'm picking out? And they said, no. They said, you're not aware, but we are, we are being attacked. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I consider being pretty aware, but I had no idea about these people that are in my life every day. I had no idea they don't talk about it. Yeah. I had no idea. So there's a different lens, you know, that I now look at where a group of people is so afraid for their lives and the lives of their children, they won't go to a neighborhood for fear of being attacked. And I had to really think about that because, boy, it is a lot to take in for me. Mm-hmm. Who th- who thinks I live in the safest place on the planet mm-hmm. and to realize I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trish, thank you for today. Um, how do we find out about you? How do we work with you? And uh, what's your closing message? Would you like to leave us with today? Yeah, thank you. Again, my practice is transformative consciousness uh, and cons- uh, transformative consciousness coaching and consulting. And it's at transformativeconsciousness.com. My email is transformativeconsciousness at gmail.com. Um, I do individual work with somatic coaching, uh, with tuning forks. I, I practice biofield tuning. Um, I do uh, six week group programs, transform, align, um, and ascend that are really focused on just clearing out some lower density um, stuff and helping to bring people into a daily spiritual practice and kind of cultivating their individual toolbox. And then my transformative consciousness curriculum is really focused on bridging spirituality um, with social justice work. Uh, And again, this spring, um, they'll be up on my website soon. I'm going to be offering some workshops that are really kind of like whiteness 101. Um, And uh, I'm moving into a place of working with people who are leaders, who want to be change makers, who are really devoted to unlearning so that they can relearn. Um, so my my work is really focused on self-healing as the gateway to collective social healing. That's why I do what I do. I really think the micro and the macro go hand in hand. We can't just do one or the other. We have to do both. Um, and my vision is really to just get a... Uh, uh, allow people to live out loud. Thank you for tuning in to Heart Change Consciousness on TransformationTalkRadio.com with me, Dr. Trish DeRocher. 
Make sure to come back next time so we can continue to awaken your soul purpose. Look forward to more conversations with your favorite authors, change makers, influencers, activists, and many more who practice inspired spiritual activism and transform vulnerabilities into sources of strength. For more information about me and transformative consciousness coaching, visit transformativeconsciousness.com. That's transformativeconsciousness.com. This was Heart Change Consciousness on TransformationTalkRadio.com.